Welcome to the Active Knoxville podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to helping you live an active and healthy lifestyle here in Knoxville. We will do this by providing you with practical and evidence-based health and fitness information. My name is Blake Bohannon, and I am a performance physical therapist here in Knoxville. My personal mission is to empower you to take ownership of your health. Along the way, I will interview the top health and fitness professionals in the area who can help you stay healthy, keep moving, and live a fulfilling life. This podcast is sponsored by Shift Performance Physical Therapy. If pain is holding you back from doing the things that you love, go to shiftperformancept.com slash contact us and fill out the form. If you mention that you're a listener of the podcast, you'll get 10% off of your initial evaluation. I hope that you enjoy the show. What's up, guys? This is your host of the Active Knoxville podcast, Dr. Blake Bohannon, and I've got with me Mary Cates, who is an ultra runner, a running coach, and the owner of Unrunning. How's it going, Mary? I'm great. How are you? Awesome. So Mary was just telling me her story about how she became a coach, and um, kind of similar to our last guest, she started a completely different industry, and then a life event moved her into deciding that she was going to coach other people. So can you tell us about what you were doing before you were a coach, and then how that happened? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I was a television producer, um, at several, I've worked at several stations around the region. Um, and I was a producer for over a decade, um, worked. My last TV station was at WBIR right here in Knoxville. Um, and I was there for over 10 years and, um, you know, I had been a, a runner my entire life. I ran in high school and college, and um, so it was still a part of my life. Uh, and then I was diagnosed with cancer, and my life kind of took a turn, and I stepped away from my career um, and battled that. And during that time, you know, you kind of reevaluate your life, and you think about, like, what is the thing that you want to do? What's your passion? What you know, what do you want to do? And, um, during that time I made the decision through some advisement and some, um, urging from one of my coaches, um, that it was just something, it was my passion was running. And so I decided I wanted to help other people that way. And so I started coaching, um, at CrossFit Knoxville with Johnny Davis, who has been spoken about several times on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's kind of the Maybe godfather. Be on here. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, but yeah, we, you know, he asked me to start coaching while I was still in treatment. Um, I was still going through my own cancer treatment and, you know, I wasn't really sure that I would be very good at it. And, you know, he kind of assured me that one of the biggest things that you need to be a good coach is just, you need to be able to communicate and listen to athletes and I definitely felt like that was a strength of mine and that's how I started. And so I started coaching CrossFit and then started coaching, um, his endurance or running program there. And okay. it's just grown from there. So, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. That is so true. Like being a good athlete does not make you a good coach. <laughs> it, does, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, like, I know. They're totally separate things. Yeah. It's hard to relate. It's almost harder for people to relate to athletes if they're really good. It doesn't mean they, they're yeah, not going like to be a, a good super coach. competitive athlete yeah. <laughs> tries to be a coach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. True. I mean, you definitely need to have like been through the journey. Absolutely. If, if you are really good at this point, you need to understand what it's like to get there. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And you need to understand how to fail. I think that was something that for me too, even to this day, um, learning how to fail and get back up and keep training through failures. That's a huge thing that a coach 
needs to be able to instill in, you know, in athletes. And oh, I think for sure. sometimes if you have people that have just always been really good at everything, that's hard to pass that on to other athletes. Yeah. And if they haven't worked specifically on their communication skills, that's not something like it's not natural. I don't, communication skills don't come super naturally to me, but I feel like it's something that I've intentionally worked on. And I didn't even realize that, that was something that you could work on until maybe a couple of years ago. Yeah. And then I was like, oh yeah, these are all areas that I fall short. Like I don't do good at communicating these things and like I could actually just get better at it. Like I thought some people are good at it. Some people aren't, you know? Yeah. yeah one of the biggest tools for me, um, at, as far as being a better communicator is just shutting up, you know, like sometimes I just need to listen because, you know, we all have these great ideas, but if you don't listen to what somebody's telling you, you're going to miss the whole point. And so that was a big thing for me is when I just learned, just stop talking, like just let them tell you the thing that they're doing and feeling and, then we can go from there, you know, yeah. but, you know, if you don't listen, then you're never going to be as good a coach as you could be. So. Right. It's yeah. so hard not to think about what you want to tell somebody while they're talking. I know. <laughs> so hard, but you're right. Like yeah. what they say matters and should impact what you say. So Absolutely. you shouldn't be thinking about what you're yeah. going to say I know. while they're talking. Yeah. So I feel like I've put that master's degree that I got in communication. <laughs> to use, even though it's not at all the same thing I, you know, I went to school for, but it's still, I still use it every day, I think. So, yeah. Oh, for sure. I mm -hmm. feel like none of us use our degrees in the way that we <laughs> thought that we would. Very I rare know. that people just stick to it through their whole life. I know. There was something that you talked about. Oh, so you were talking about training when you, through your treatment, mm -hmm. and it sounded like when you had to take a step back from your career mm -hmm. through treatment, but you were able to train. Yeah. How did that look? trying to train around cancer treatment? Um, it was very different. And I even wrote um, a blog for Johnny several years ago just about, you know, what that feels like and looks like and giving yourself grace because, you know, I, even my runs when I was sick were really like run walks and they would be a mile as opposed to, you know, a marathon or a half marathon or, you know, hard training runs. And it didn't matter for me. It was just about moving and trying to remember that I was still a person aside from just being a cancer patient. Um, you know, it was more about trying to remind yourself that you're an athlete and, you know, you doesn't matter if you're sick or not, like you are still that person. And so it was, to me, it was more about um, getting in the gym or going out for a run just to feel like myself. It was that little piece of normalcy because everything mm. else was about treatment and, right. you know, and this was the thing that wasn't. So it gave me an escape to feel like my old self again. Yeah. And that's the thing I remind people. Cause I still, you know, talk to folks who've just been diagnosed and, you know, how can they approach their training and what do they need to do? And, you know, you just have to give yourself grace and that's, you know, that's the thing people want to put, you know, and it's, it it's, I totally get it. And, you know, but people instantly go into this mode of, well, I'm going to clean up my diet and do all these things. Cause I'm going to fight this, you know, this illness and it's right. like, you, that's great, but we're also human. And so do all those things, but give yourself some grace on the days you don't feel like working out. Don't, you know, rest on the days you don't feel like eating that very strict sugar-free diet that someone told you you need to do eat the things that you want to eat because it's going to give you the energy for tomorrow when you decide you do want to go to the gym. And, you know, so, I mean, yeah. And feel um, good about that. Knowing absolutely. it's the right decision, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I struggle a ton with that. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm not going through anything nearly that difficult, but just when I make a decision to take a rest day, like it gives me so much anxiety. If it wasn't on the plan, like it's okay if I'm like doing five days, one day off, I know that's going to be a rest day. But like if I'm feeling like crap Mm -hmm. and then I decide I need to take a rest day in the middle of the week when I was planning on working out, I get so much anxiety around it. And like, it is really hard to tell yourself it's okay. And so people come at it from different ends of the spectrum. Absolutely. But as an athlete, I think that's really hard. It is. Um, And I think that's one of the things I think is my, is my role as a coach. It's one of the most beneficial things because a lot of runners are very type A, very Mm -hmm. driven people and they have a hard time with that. So that's a big part of my job is to say, nope, uh, today you need a rest day. Um, and I know you don't want to, but I'm telling you that's going to make us better for that hard workout coming in two days. And I just say like somebody's super exhausted and stressed and life's just taken over. I'm like, this is just time for more adaptation, right? Like just take that rest day and let all the stuff adapt. Like let all the work you did last week settle in and now you're going to be better in two days, you know, Mm. and we'll really go hard again. But people need a coach to say rest, you know, because like you said, we don't want to do that. Like we have a hard time with that. Oh yeah. And you kind of touched on how life things can play into how much you can tolerate too. Like your body can tolerate a certain amount of stress. And sometimes the amount of stress you're having from things that are not training can impact your training. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because your body doesn't know the difference. Right. Stress is stress, and it has no way to know whether that stress came from that hard workout you just did, or whether it came from you know the fight you got in at work. Your body has no clue. It just sees stress, and so yeah. you have to figure out how to manage the two. Um, and you can do it, but you know sometimes it's good to have a coach to say like hey it's it's okay today today we t- we take a rest day or do some mobility or you know let's just dial it back a little bit so yeah, yeah. A, a coach is really like a stress manager and i say that exactly. about PT sometimes too cuz i'm like well we need the right stresses on your tissues for them to heal mm-hmm. but sometimes it also is reducing stress in other ways and I'm like we have to ride this stress and give you the appropriate stress on the right day at the right time yeah yeah. And so, and that's what you're doing as a coach. Cause your body has to have stress to adapt yeah. over time. You're 100%. not going to get better without positive stress. Exactly. But it's about acute stress that you can adapt from. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. Very cool. <laughs> so you, um, went from coaching, you were coaching CrossFit at, no- at CrossFit Knoxville, mm-hmm. right? And, and the endurance program. Exactly. Which was just our running program. Um, we, we built a pretty awesome program there where we had athletes training for marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, ultra marathons, you know, which is kind of unique and rare in a CrossFit gym. And so mm-hmm. um, that was really fun. And, you know, we just worked on kind of tweaking and scaling and adjusting and adapting the CrossFit programming to fit the things that they were also doing. And, you know, we still do that. So I still, you know, help Johnny if he's got athletes that are doing specific races and they want, you know, a run coach, then I'm, I'm his, I'm his girl. And so, um, I'm, and you still do some like CrossFit workout modifying and stuff. So it can fit along with a, absolutely. That's cool. Um, and so that, you know, that's, that's a big part of, it's still a big part of my life and I love it. And, you know, I, I coach athletes from all different backgrounds, um, CrossFit, non-CrossFit, uh, but that's something that's still really fun for me. So, oh yeah. I know I've worked out alongside some of your runners Mm -hmm. when they're, yeah. In, in progress for like yeah. the marathon or something like that. Do they look really tired and sad? <laughs> <laughs> no, they're hyped about that. But yeah. I know they're doing like, they have certain things like, oh, my coach told me to sub this for this. Yeah. Like this is mm-hmm. what I'm doing today. So that's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. To like modify the programming. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you uh, decided to do unrunning, right? And 
create your own brand? Yep. I've coached with other coaches too around the region. I worked with uh, Bobby Holcomb. So he runs Knox Endurance here in town. It's just a big run program. And um, yeah. And, you know, now I have my own business. And so I'm always super grateful at every coach that ever helped me and kind of gave me a chance. And I try my best now to pass that on. You know, I, I work with some other people, kind of mentor young coaches who are just starting too, because yeah, I decided to start my own business and that's been, you know, that's been great for me. It's, um, I don't know this has just been my passion and I never really thought that I would get to that point, but I'm really, really grateful and, and honored to be able to, you know, affect athletes, journey to their race or whatever goal that they set. So. Yeah. It's super fulfilling to be a part of somebody accomplishing something that's so meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you're right. It is all about connection and well, I don't want to say networking. That sounds so like, Oh, this is like a business marketing thing, but it is all about your network. It is. I mean, it's it a is. community. And there yeah, are people that if I can't help them, and this is a conversation I have with every single runner I, I work with. If, if I don't feel like I'm the right fit for you, I'm really going to help find somebody who is the right fit for you Mm -hmm. because as a health and fitness community, it's our job. Like it's our obligation to make people better if that's what they're trying to do. And if I'm not the person or if I don't have the ability to take on another athlete, then I'm going to try to find somebody who can help you, you know? Um, And so I think that's a big deal. Like you don't get that without knowing people in our industry and knowing other people who might be the best fit for that person and what they need, you know? And so that is a huge part of how I coach. And, um, there was a time when I first started coaching that I think I felt like I had this like secret and I wanted to keep it, you know, and it's very Uh scarcity mindset kind of thing. And I, you know, I was just very young and didn't understand. And I'm, you know, all of that's gone. Like now I'm just like, whatever, like there isn't a secret sauce. Like yeah. it's just hard work. And if I can help you great, if I can't, I'm not going to find somebody who can. So oh, I think early on that is the temptation It is it's like, yeah. well, if somebody wants to work with me, I have to, yeah, I know have to work with them and have yeah. to figure it out for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, that's like, and it's, I guess it's this idea that like you are trying to get a little slice of the pie and there's yeah. like these certain number of people to work with or something. I mean, I know this mindset I've been through that. Right. And we all, you all go through that. You know, we all yeah. do. Yeah. It's hard, but you know, the longer you do it, the more you understand it's not about that. It's about helping as many people as you can. Um, yeah. Yeah. So however that happens. And so. there's so many people who like the vast majority of the population is not participating in any health and fitness activity. And so (laughs) we need to just be expanding (laughs) into helping all those people. Exactly. Not like worrying about which coach gets to work with this person who's been into fitness their whole life, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So true. So what do you do with unrunning? What does working with you look like as a coach? It's largely a um, remote coaching platform for me. But I mean, it's more than that. Like I become a little bit obsessed with my athletes life. Like they'll all tell you we're like a giant family. Um, I know everything from, you know, what their 
day at work was like to, you know, if their kids are sick. And that's how I, you know, create programs for folks. I mean, obviously we set goals and I, you know, most people come to me with a goal to race, but Mm -hmm. I have a lot of folks that I just coach year round and, you know, we just kind of Sometimes it's a race. Sometimes it's just training. And that's one of the most healthy things. You just periodize their whole year. And, you know, that way you really try to avoid an overtraining situation. Um, But, yeah, I write their um, running programs and I track them through apps that we all, you know, we've all gone high tech now. So every every time they Which one do you use? So I use a program called Final Surge and that's... I've heard that one. Okay basically a run it's mostly an endurance um app but it's so funny because i feel like i'm big brother because as soon as their run's done you know it syncs and uploads and i get a text message that they've just complete you know so like i know when they've done these things and oftentimes that is the thing that people are missing they need the accountability of knowing if i don't get this done she knows i don't get this done Mm -hmm. and i actually just had a conversation with some of my athletes this morning because now with the whoop tracker like I, you know, whoop is the wearable that lots uh-huh. of folks have now and yep. it tracks your sleep and, you know, all these things. And I track a lot of my athletes on their whoop because now you can actually you have like a whoop community, right? Yes. But I, yes, absolutely. And I can track their, you know, their sleep and, you know, there are days that I see their recovery and I know some of them have been out all night, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's I feel like, like, so were you drinking last night? I know. Whoop recovery is ex- crap today. Exactly. <laughs> and it's just fun. Like, you know, that that's kind of where I'm at with it. Like we, you know, I'm all in and you kind of know that when we start working is that my job is to help you um, reach your goal. And, you know, that means a lot of different things. It's not just tracking your runs. And so... Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of what, what I do. I also write strength training programming for a lot of my athletes. Cause that's a huge thing for me. And so, um, and why is that huge? Uh, well, because it's often neglected by runners, but it's also one of the reasons I think that as running as runners, we have one of the highest injury rates in sport. Sadly, yeah, it's like and 80% per year, something like that. There's different studies with different numbers, but yeah, um, it's really unfortunate. And I think a lot of times, you know, there is a technique component to that because sometimes people just run like crap, but mm-hmm. a lot of times it's that there's an imbalance that just gets ignored. And, you know, if you're right, side is way stronger than your left, that's going to show up after, you know, repetitive run after run after run. And then what you think's an injury, maybe an injury, but it also may be something you could have fixed or we could have worked on to even out those imbalances. And so for me, that's what strength training is. Um, you know, yeah, it's about aesthetics and looking strong and healthy and all that, but it, it's really about injury prevention for me. So that's why yeah. it's important. And like as a specific adjunct for your runners, it's mostly about injury prevention, right? Yeah. I mean, there are lots of us, like I love lifting weights. And so mm-hmm. for me, it's not just that. I mean, that's okay. a big yeah, part of it, sure. but I love putting on muscle and, you know, because I think, you know, that's not something that you see in endurance athletes. So I like yeah. to be outside of the box and do my own thing. Cause it's the thing I enjoy doing. Right. Um, but for the majority of endurance athletes, it really is what's the most bang for the buck, you know, as far as I, I don't have all this extra time for strength training. So we try to get the very basic things that can help yeah. keep them safe. And a little bit of extra muscle and 
uh, stronger tendons is going to help people prevent injury. Absolutely. And that's, mm-hmm. that's the main thing we're trying to drive with strength training. So obviously your tendons and muscles adapt to running yep. as well. That yeah. makes them much stronger too, but it seems that there's an increased stimulus for tendon and muscle strengthening from yeah. strength training. Yeah. So it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like this booster to your adaptation to get mm-hmm. even stronger muscles and tendons so that you can tolerate more running. Absolutely. Which That's is what you want to do. Right. Just make you better at your sport. We're not yeah. trying to take you away from it. It's just exactly. trying to make you better at it. Um, yeah. And so what do you, as far as like a volume standpoint or number of days per week, that kind of thing, what do you uh, prescribe for your runners typically? Usually I start with, I mean, if someone's not strength training at all, we start with one day a week because okay. that's where we start. And then we try to get it up to a couple of days a week. Some people won't do two days. One okay. day's enough, but I try to get it up to two. Um, I personally lift, you know, three to four days a week because I love it. Um, and I really enjoy it. I think there for a lot of people, even like going through the range of motion of a squat position, like you reveal things that people like some people have no idea that their ankle range of motion is just garbage until Mm. they get into the bottom of a squat, you know, so you really start finding all those things. And as we kind of work through it and find the problem areas, you know, you can really fix some weaknesses. And so then once you do that, you can add a day or two. And so for me, that's kind of where we start. But for folks who don't strength train at all, we start at one day because if I added two, it might be a little bit too much and then they're not going to do it at all. So yeah. that's where we start. Yeah. I feel like I usually tell endurance athletes two days is their sweet mm-hmm. spot. Yeah, it really and I is. guess I'm assuming that they don't want to do more than that, mm-hmm. but it also might touch into like affecting their recovery and stuff like that. Yeah. If you're doing too much of it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, there, there are definitely different ways to stack a week for me um, personally. And I think this is applies to a lot of folks who've been doing, who are used to strength training and who have been running for a while. Um, I try to add my, my, you know, heavier lift sessions on my speed workout days. Okay. So I, I break them up. I'll run early, lift late. But then that way, my recovery days are truly recovery days. Okay. And so you really get all of that training Instead stimulus. Instead of mm-hmm. spreading them out Exactly. Too much. Because okay. then you can't ever really recover on those recovery days. And so, um, like, if you if you stack them that way, then you really do get true benefit of recovery and adaptation. And it just works well. I mean, those days are hard, but that's kind of what you want, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's, Acute stress that you can recover exactly. from. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And yep. then giving your body the time to recover. Yeah, Exactly. Right. What other kind of things are you talking to your athletes about other than the ex- like both of these things were basically, this is your training, right? Like here it is, <laughs> <Yeah>. do it. <laughs> what other kind of stuff are you talking to them about to make sure that they meet their goals? Yeah. Um, you know, I specialize, I work with athletes who are, you know, 5k athletes all the way up to people who are training for ultra marathons, which is my that's my specific sport as well. And, you know, that runs the gamut. I definitely talk to them about fueling because, you know, if you don't eat enough and fuel your workouts, like we're just asking for injury, we're asking for, you know, complete just bombs and workouts, you're never going to get better. But I also work with people on their stress levels because, um, we talked before we started, like stress is stress and your body doesn't know the difference. And so we're never going to recover from a hard workout. Like I, in good faith, can't keep giving you hard workouts after hard workouts. If you're under so much stress that your body just thinks life is a hard workout. So, you know, I really have to talk to people and that's hard. Um, I've got some athletes who specifically during the pandemic, we really, um, 
<laughs> had some breakthroughs because life got really, really hard. And we had conversations that we had never had before about mm. life stress, you know, and we had to kind of take a step back and adjust training and be like, okay, you know, we're going to do things a little differently now because your life is really hard and it feels like a workout too. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of, that's definitely a big part of <laughs> my relationship with my Yeah. Athletes. Well, you need your yeah, you need your training to be periodized, mm-hmm. but not just leading up to a race. I mean, even over the whole year and based on your life. Yes, exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, personally, I've got a two-year-old and we're about to have a baby. So I haven't signed up for anything <laughs> like I normally would, yeah. you know, cause I'm like, I'm not going to put in. You're a smart man. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm like, I could do something, but mm-hmm. I've done, I've done Spartan race. I've done competitions and like, I want to put in a certain level of effort for it if I'm going right. to do it. Right. And so I'm like, it's not smart for me to do that. I'm going to take days off. I didn't plan on, I'm not going to do the training volume that I want to do. And I'm just going to like work out as consistently as I can and stay healthy, you know? Yeah. And then like when it's easier, I'll do something hard that I really have to train for. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this, you know, a lot of endurance athletes are very type a Mm -hmm. people. And so they want to do it all. Like they just think I can do it all. Like I'm going to get up at three 30 in the morning so that I can get my run done at four 30 and fit everything in, you know, and it's just this, which is awesome because they're motivated and that's great. But there are these times when it's like, look, like this is not working. You know, we have to take, take a step back and reevaluate some things and maybe even adjust some goals because you know, you're going to get hurt or, you know, worse, like you're going to completely get so burnt out that you just quit altogether. Yeah. Because you, you have can't. to sleep more than four hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those are big parts of my conversations, you know, life stress and definitely food, which is a huge part of, you know, endurance training period, specifically for women, but for everyone. Um, but yeah, it's definitely a huge part of that. So, yeah, no kidding. So, okay. Staying on the life stress thing a little bit. What do you think is people, the real reason that people want to run? You were telling me earlier about that endurance athletes, like people try to pull them. Okay. So I feel like we're touching on a couple different topics at once. You were talking about (laughs) your big, uh, I don't know if you said pet peeve, but your passion is that people try to get pulled away from endurance sports because people like PTs (laughs) sometimes say that it's not like the healthiest thing to do, right? Uh, Or just other health and fitness professionals on the internet Mm -hmm. or wherever they may reside on Instagram and Facebook are like, Mm -hmm. oh, running is stupid. You shouldn't do so much cardio. You should lift weights. That's the fountain of youth or whatever. Right. And so like what's behind all that? Why is that kind of a negative message to be giving people? It's hard for me because, you know, I, it's the sport I love. Yeah. And I think there is this misconception that people run because they want to be skinny. And there are Mm. probably some people out there that do that. I I don't think it's going to last. Well, (laughs) right. I mean, you're just ready to get skinny. Like, yeah, it, it doesn't last obviously, but I do think that that is, that's a small percentage of people who consider themselves runners or cyclists or triathletes. Mm. They're not, I mean, that may be a 
small component is just, you know, because it's the thing they've always done and it's helped them maintain a certain body weight because that's what they've done since they were in college and, you know, they've always been able to keep off whatever, but that isn't the reason they run or that Mm -hmm. isn't the reason they cycle. For the majority of endurance athletes, it's because it's the thing they love to do. It's their stress release. It's, you know, the thing that lets them go out alone. Like I have so many moms who say that is my only time alone all day long. Yeah, no, that's my wife. I she, know. Yeah. I mean, you know, and so for me, it's got nothing to do with people trying to be skinny. It's the thing that they they need, you know, in their life. And so for me, it's really important for people to hear that. And instead of saying, you need to stop doing that, you yeah. should just lift weights, you know, or you should, you know, stop doing cardio altogether. It's like, no, we need to figure out a way to help them do it more healthfully, help them find the things that are a weakness in that and make it better, add to their life. Don't try to take away from their life. You yeah. Know? That's yeah. just an unhelpful message. It is. It like really the thing is. that you love and is also really healthy for you. Like, hey, okay, whatever. Don't yeah. <laughs> like running is not unhealthy yeah. at yeah. all. And so like, don't take that away from people and make them feel like it's unhealthy and that they're somehow doing the wrong thing yeah. because fitness and health is very confusing, It is, especially when you get your information from the internet, which is, Hey, where we all get our information from. I know. And so unless you're like super in the weeds on this stuff and re-research and all that and understand it on a nuanced level, it's extremely confusing for people mm-hmm. because they get sources of information, telling them all kinds of things. Running's good for you. Running's bad for you. And like people yeah. don't know what to believe. I know. And I mean, you know, that that's kind of the thing is it's, it's a real quick way to get someone who does it and love it to never listen to you again. You know, if mm. you're trying to give a, an, a message to someone and tell them, here's how I can help you. Great. But if you're just telling them what they do is, is wrong, um, they're not going to listen to you anymore. For sure. You know? Yeah. They're just going to turn off. Cause mm-hmm. they're like, I don't need to hear that. This is the best it's, part of my life. <laughs> exactly. It's the thing that, like I said, it's the, the only time I'm alone. I mean, I can't tell you the, you know, how many women I have that say that like, this is, this time is sacred in my day. Yeah. Like, if I didn't have it, I would go crazy, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and that's huge. You know, that's free therapy, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's the cheapest therapy you can get. And it, it's true. It's you get, you can have your own time with your own thoughts and be able to just, and I don't know what it is about endurance stuff, but you're right that it is better for that. I think than other forms of exercise. Mm -hmm. Like I love working out in a CrossFit gym with friends for the social aspect. It's a lot of fun, Mm -hmm. but personally there's nothing like going out on like a two hour bike ride for just clearing your head and your mental health. And there's a piece of it too, about being in nature for me personally, Mm -hmm. that's a huge part of it. I do a lot of trail running. That's what I love. And I mean, you just can't beat that. I mean, we all would benefit from, you know, spending more time outside in nature. And so, you know, that's a big part of it for me. And I know it is for a lot of my athletes. Oh, yeah. There's legitimate research just looking at the number of hours people spend outside Mm -hmm. per day and how it correlates to health concerns. Mm -hmm. And it shows a lot of benefit. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. So I knew that we would circle back around somehow. I feel like my like, train of thought was going all over the place. No, that's fine. I that's knew what fun. I wanted you to talk about. Yeah. I was just like, where are we going to get here? Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, that's fun. it affects people's mental health in huge ways. And also we should just be trying to help them do what they want to do in a helpful way. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, I think before we hit record, we were talking about how people really have to get into something mm-hmm. for it to stick. Yeah. 
right? So if they are into running and that is stuck for them, you do not want to discourage that. Exactly. Yeah. And so like there may be optimal ways to train. I don't know. I don't think that we have enough research to say this is the optimal way for somebody to train. But what really matters is what people are actually going to do. Mm-hmm. So if we're looking at somebody who doesn't exercise and they want to do um, this form of exercise that we think is not optimal, we should encourage them to do it and figure out how to help them with it. Yep. And like you said, if it's not our expertise, hook them up with somebody exactly. that is an expert in that area. Absolutely. Yep. I'm a big proponent of staying in your own lane. Yeah. <laughs> but you are an expert in running and specifically ultra running, yep. which I think is super interesting. So I want to talk about that. Yeah. How does someone get into ultra running? Well, um, that's really funny. Um, what is ultra running? So, Cause maybe when you just throw that out, people don't know yeah, exactly what true. you mean by it. Um, an ultra marathon is anything over a marathon distance and a marathon distance is 26.2 miles. So technically 26.3 miles is an ultra marathon. Boom. Ultra marathon. I know. Just run through the finish line all the way to the cheeseburger place. Yeah, that's, and you're an ultra marathon. That's perfect. That sounds great to me. Um, but typically the most common distance beyond a marathon is the 50 K. So that's 31 miles. Um, and so that's kind of where people start. Um, I didn't, I started at a 50 miler, which is really silly. Um, yeah, cause what's four more miles than a marathon, uh, right? Well, that's I mean, <laughs> I could have started at a 50 K. I just didn't, you know, I just thought I'm going to do a 50 miler, but I mean, um, it is extremely interesting in that, Really, you can train your body physically, but the mental component to ultra marathons, that's really what makes or breaks an athlete. I mean, yes, your body has to withstand the training to get the mileage, but it's, I love it. And the majority of the people who get into it do it because it really is kind of more of a mental challenge. Um, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the thing that really separates it from other distances. Yeah. Do, do you find that most people that get into it, like did a marathon first or something like that? For sure. The majority of people have definitely started with, um, you know, the half marathon, marathon distance. Not all. There are a lot of people who just kind of fall in love with the ultra running community mm-hmm. that our community is pretty special, um, especially ultra trail running communities. Like, I feel like most of them are trail runs. Would you say that's accurate? No, they are most okay. of them. Now there are some road ultra marathon and that's a very, you know, that I think that's so much harder. Actually, it's harder on your body, but it's definitely that community exists. I mean, there are lots of like subcultures within the ultra running community. There's timed events. So like 24 hour races and, you know, mm-hmm. 48 hour races where it's not a distance. It's just, you run as far as you can. To me, that would be the most torturous. It's hard. I've thought about that. They're little short, usually short courses. So they're <laughs> like mile loops and you just do them for, you know, 24 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, you know, and I've done some of those and, you know, but it's, you know, I, the, the ultra trail scene is the community really is what attracts most people to it. Um, and you know, that is, I think that kind of, it speaks to a certain type of people. Um, I think a lot, there's a belief that a lot of people are kind of running from something or they're managing, they're battling some demons, you know, Uh and I think there is some studies and and there is a little bit of research on the majority of people who are ultra runners who have battled addiction. And so it's almost like a trading off of something like a unhealthy, you know, for this healthy behavior. It does seem like it could be an amazing strategy for that. Yeah. And it is. And I mean, I just think that kind of shows that speaks to the part where I'm saying it, it, it's such a mental 
um, a mental component to the ultra running scene. And I, I love it. Um, and the community, like I said, it's the biggest reason why I still do it. Um, and I'm 41 years old. And as a female, I feel like the longer we run, uh, the gender differences kind of fall away. You know, like mm. I love that as a female athlete because, you know, we just seem to be really, really good at these long grinding, you know, distances. Yeah. And I think that's really cool too. So yeah, like do alters <laughs> one of the absolute best ultra runners, right? Uh, yeah, Courtney. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't remember her first name. I was yeah. going to call Caitlin DeWalter and then I knew I was going to mess it up. So I couldn't <laughs> say it. I just said DeWalter. Yeah, no, she's, yeah, Courtney she's DeWalter. phenomenal. And, um, you know, I just ran a race a couple of weeks ago and I was the second female to a woman who won the race outright. Like she beat everyone. And That's awesome. Yeah. You know, and I was fifth overall. And so it's just kind of like, you really get to see that, Oh no, it doesn't really matter. Like the longer we go, the better we get at this. And, you know, as a female, yeah. of course, that's just cool for me to see that. That's too. interesting. Like physiologically too, like, mm-hmm. what is it about physiologically? Why can women adapt to that to be like where there's no differences like mm-hmm. genetics wise? And then also I think it's interesting how when people get, it almost seems like people keep getting better at ultra endurance events Mm -hmm. as they age. Mm -hmm. Like you see some like older, I don't want to say like old people, but older (laughs) than you would see podiuming at another kind of sport. Yeah. Like you're not seeing 40 plus year olds that are winning CrossFit events outright, right? but you do see it in endurance events. Well, the, the woman who I just said, who won that race outright was 45, you know, and that's awesome. Like that's so exciting to me. I mean, she crushed that course. And just to know that a 45 year old woman just kicked my butt in this race. And a bunch of other 20 year old dudes who signed up. Exactly. You know, there were 300 athletes and she was first. I was the second female, but fifth overall out of all of these people. And we're in our forties, you know, it's like, that's so fun, you know? Um, but to speak to what you said about, you know, you, it's just a chance for people to get better as they age. I think you have to learn how to do it. You have to learn what your body can do, but you also figure out what, what's real pain and Mm. what's not just your mind telling you to stop, you know? And I think the longer you do it, you kind of figure out this isn't, this isn't real pain. I just am being a baby right now, you know? And, and those are just things that you work through. You think that that's part of what takes time to learn? Absolutely. I think a hundred mile distance, 50 mile distance, any ultra marathon for me, and this is a big part of what I coach my athletes in, it's about problem solving. So it's not even really like the physical training's there, but you got to get really good at solving problems that happen when you're out on a trail because it's you and that's it. Like you don't have like you got to figure it out. You know, you can stop and drop out or you can just keep going. But the difference between the people who, you know, typically can keep going is they've managed problems. They know how to figure out what's actually happening. Um, and is there tactical ways that people could work through that ahead of time or is it something that comes with experience? Yeah. I mean, experience is huge, obviously. Um, but those long training runs, like that's, that's where you figure it out. You figure out what kind of food you can eat. You figure out what happens when you run in the rain. Like how many blisters do you get? That didn't work. All right, next time I'm going to go in the rain and we don't use those socks or, you know, this, that food made me get really sick. So now I got to change up, 
you know, what I'm going to eat this time or, you know, how much hydration works for me. Everybody's different. You have to figure it out. People always ask me, what's the perfect thing for me to eat in the long run? And I'm like, the thing that won't make you throw up. (laughs) Like, you're not the same as me. So So you typically like give them some suggestions Mm -hmm. and then be like, you need to think about how you felt after that. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. So, I mean, that's the thing. There isn't a perfect, there's no silver silver bullet. Like there isn't, Mm -hmm. you know, the perfect training plan for anyone. It's all about consistency and just practice. So, you know, doing the work. Yeah. Um, And then you arrive at a near perfect training plan. Yeah. After trying some things, adjusting it, Mm -hmm. you get to a point where you're like problems. That's it right there. Yeah. That's probably why when you're in your forties, people are nailing it, right? (laughs) I know. Because they've made plenty of mistakes. They know what works for them then. And they Mm -hmm. know what the whole year needs to look like leading up to it. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. That's pretty cool. And it's not just, like you said, it's not just figuring out the best way. It's figuring out how you are going to perform your best. I mean, that's the key. Um, like I said, people want the perfect, the perfect plan and the perfect food and the perfect mm. shoes. And it's like, nope, you have to figure out what works for you. I can't tell you that. I can give you the tools to figure it out, but you got to figure all that yeah, out. Yeah, and then help you figure it out. Mm-hmm. Man, we talk about that in PT all the time, too. There's so many parallels. Mm-hmm. But yeah, people are always like, oh, I'll just look up the best uh, rotator cuff exercise on the internet. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there's the best exercise for you to do today with this much volume. And, you know, like yeah. it's all about the situation, you figuring out how you're responding to it, yeah. and then adjusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. So, um, oh, man. What do we want to talk about next? So <laughs> what, it, what is people's typical progression into ultra running? Like if someone is, so they go like 50 K then up to a 50 miler, like how big of a jump is that? That's huge. That's almost double. It is. Um, it's funny because there is a typical progression, but for the most part, lots of people throw that out the window. Okay. I mean, I've, they I just a, get excited about a hundred miler and yeah, they're like, Boom, had, let's do it. I have a great athlete and she essentially has been doing ultra marathons for a very short time. And this year she did her first hundred miles. She was at the race I was at and she cool. did her first hundred miler and she did great. Um, and she kind of bucked the trend. Like she went from a 50 K and then a 50 miler and then bam, we did a hundred miler and with a hundred K be in between that for most it people. Would, and, and typically what I, you know, and she and I had long talks about this. I even said like, this may not be the day that, you know, this day may not go the way you want it to. So we went into it knowing that people take years to build up to this. Cause I'm pretty honest with my athletes. Like we set some real expectations and kind of understand what might happen. Um, you know, so we had that conversation because typically I like for folks to just take some time, take some years building up those miles because, you know, all the reps that you get on your legs, mileage, you know, it's just like how your training age as a weightlifter, like mm-hmm. all the reps that you put in that over time, it makes you better at your sport. And same thing goes for running. And so it's, it's something that makes me a little nervous for folks to jump up too quickly in mm-hmm. distance because they can get hurt. And there is a central nervous system component. So you need your body to kind of adapt to the things that are happening as you're putting oh, yeah. your body through those things. And so, um, you know, and so I think that 50 K is a great progression straight into a 50 miler, but I like for people to hang out in that 50 K 50 miler distance for a while because I like do a few of them. Yeah. And it, like I said, it can take years. It took me years to get up to, to my yeah. first hundred, but you know, for some people that's not the route and it's okay. My job is to help them 
achieve their goal and, you know, I'll help them and, you know, we'll have a conversation about whether this may or may not be yeah. the best route, but at the end of the day, I'm going to help you. And, yeah. you know, but she nailed it, you know, it's awesome. That's awesome. She crushed it. And, you know, so we got there and she's healthy and, um, <laughs> She's going to take some time off and rest and, you know, because we need to, but you know, yeah, everybody's different. So that's cool. What does a training cycle look like leading up to some of these distances? I always hear people talk about a 16 week program for a marathon and it, you could debunk these myths if you want to, like really people who are into running run all year long. Right. So how long do you have people running on, on like a specific program or h- how do you structure period periodizing running throughout the year? It depends. Um, you know, like say for that athlete, you know, we, I really do try to approach things like that a year out, you know, um, I have folks who like a hundred miler mm -hmm, a year out. Yeah. Because that way we can train, uh, with training races. So we can have like, if their end goal is a hundred miler, you know, I'd love for them to do a couple training races at lower distances so that Mm -hmm. they can really get comfortable going in and out of aid stations and eating food there and kind of making sure that, you know, their shoes and socks are the right thing. They're wearing the gear that works and these things. And so, but you got to build up to that 50 K or you got to build up to that 50 miles. So yeah, it really does look like a year long program. And I love that because to me, that's the healthiest way to get them there and then we can start all over and let them take the time to recover and then you know take another year for that next big goal and and I think for some people who over race and do too much um I think that's kind of how we start getting into that that overtrained injured runner reputation that you know a lot of endurance athletes have where they're just doing too much they're broken you know they never really let themselves heal and so I think if we p- approach things with a year kind of seeing things that far in advance Mm -hmm. that way you can recover and then have that time to build up for that next one. So, yeah. And what does training mileage and time commitment look like? I'm sure it's different for different people. It is. Yeah. How do you make those decisions? Um, What do people really need to be at? It's all individual. Um, Everybody's completely different. Um, And I just think for you know, mileage varies like lots, you know, the longest run I did for my hundred miler was 35 miles, you know, which seems crazy, right? Like that seems like you should do far more than that. And so my, my, my weekly mileage, cause I've been running for 20 plus years would get up to sometimes a hundred miles a week. Um, sometimes it was more like in the 85 mile a week, but I'm, I run a lot and that's, you know, my life is kind of, it, my lifestyle is set up for that. Whereas lots of people who, you know, have a bunch of kids and their time commitments are short, you know, if they're training, like she did not run that. She probably, her peak mileage probably was like 45 to 50 miles a week. And we still got there safely. And so it really is super individualized. The biggest, most important component of training for an ultra marathon is that long run, because you got to get that long run in. And so we'll structure that week however we have to, so that they can really get that big fat long run. So one big long run is the most important thing. Well, and you know, there's definitely, you know, runs throughout the week. You need the time on your feet, but that is the most important. The cornerstone of the program is progressing that long run. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And you know, I've heard that people who are competitive in marathons get up to over a hundred miles a they week. Do. Yeah. And so uh-huh. that's almost similar volume to do a hundred miler. It is the difference between the types of races is mm-hmm. the intensity. So, okay. 
you know, if you're running a really competitive marathon, um, your body has to feel the pounding on the road at a high, at a hard intensity. It's not the same for an ultra marathon. We're going much slower. Now, some people are, I mean, if you're, you know, Jim Walmsley. Right. You know, (laughs) and, and I ran, you know, a 17 hour hundred and the girl, the the woman who beat me ran a 15 hour, which is, that's just, that's fast. That's rolling, you know, and what is that like at a pace? It's a, about an eight forty pace, you know, and is that for yours or no, that's for hers. That's for a 15 Mm -hmm. hour. Okay. Yeah. And so, I mean, she was moving like that's hard work. It's still not, I mean, her marathon time is, you know, so much faster than that. So she's used to working at much higher intensities when she trains for a marathon. So that's kind of the difference. So was she a marathon? Mm-hmm. Do you like know her? Well, well I just know of her. Yeah. Okay. We, um, but she's great. Um, but yeah, she's super high competitive road marathoner, you okay. know? And so, gotcha. yeah, so that's the difference. The intensity of ultra marathon is so much lower. And so you don't have to, your mileage doesn't have to be this high mileage because your body for a road marathon has to be able to withstand those, those road miles, that pounding on the road at a really high intensity. And that just takes a lot of volume Um, to build up the resilience for that. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Okay. So do you apply more of that like 80, 20 rule that people talk about as like for a road marathon would be like a lot of low intensity training and then a small amount of high intensity training. Marathons are, I mean, Really and truly, the principles are all the same. I mean, okay. you need a lot of good, easy running w- mixed with those doses of really hard, short, high intensity training, and then a, a good long run. I mean, it's all the same. That's very similar. Yeah, it's all the same. Would um, you describe an ultra marathon program any different than that? It it an ultra marathon program is very similar. The only thing that is different is people don't necessarily have to have that high intensity training. So you can really do a great ultra marathon without doing much speed work. If you're accomplished as far as like you've, you've got years of running experience in your back pocket, we can start adding intensity to people who are training for an ultra marathon. But if you aren't, or, you know, if you've had some injuries in the past, there's no real benefit for me to make somebody do speed work. If they're training for a hundred mile distance, if they're healthy and they love it and it's a thing that they enjoy and we want to get faster and you know, that's great. But, um, for me, the bang for the buck is not always there. Whereas in a marathon, that's very different. You know, that's kind of what your, your goal is. And so that's really the one thing that's different is the speed component for an ultra marathon may or may not be in a program. It just depends on the person. So, okay. What do you think is like the bare minimum long run for somebody to get to, to be able to do a hundred miler to do a hundred miler? I definitely think, um, a, a 30 to 35 mile long run. You've got to at least be able to do that. Some people would say 50 miler, but I don't believe that. I mean, I didn't, yeah, yeah, I didn't do that. You know, I have done that in the past. It's not necessary, but I also have a very, you know, high training age. I've been doing this for years. And so I just have the miles on my legs. Yeah, pretty um, confident in what you can do on yeah, a race day. Yeah, absolutely. But at least 30 to 35 miles. The reason for all the things we talked about, you have to figure out your nutrition. You have to figure out what works because if you run a four hour long run, you have no idea what food's going to work past that. Like you don't know, like you have to figure it out and feel the things that are going to work for you on, you know, late into a run. And that doesn't come until you get up into that 
30, 35 mile. <laughs> yeah. And I've never done anything that long, but I've heard people talk about how things that normally work for them, like become disgusting. They yeah. can't do it. They yes. throw it up. They feel like they can't put anything down. Uh-huh. And the food is such a huge part. Um, for me, I try to tell people we've got to start taking in 200 to 250 calories an hour. Um, even early. Like, so if you're doing a long run, you got to start with that first hour and that's, that's hard. Yeah. It is, but that is what will get somebody to the end of a race. If you're not fueling, you can't run. I mean, everything just shuts down. You start cramping, you get sick, you know, like you just can't do it. And so all of that comes from that long run. You have to practice. Yeah. And what did you eat on your hundred miler? Uh, let's see. I love pop tarts. Um, <laughs> so pop tarts, uh, it's like a big eating contest. It is. It's that's what I, the joke is always that people just do them so that they can eat. It's like a big buffet that yeah. has some running in the middle. Um, but pop tarts, oatmeal, cream pies. Um, I ate some quesadillas at aid stations. I mean, and that's the thing, like you have to practice running with that, right? Like you can't running and eating a quesadilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you really have to get used to doing it. So that's why those training races are fun, you know, because you get to practice it. Um, but I don't eat like that throughout my life. You know, I, but that's just the funniest part is like, I eat really pretty healthy all the time, but in races, like you need that quick processed, you know, oh, yeah. quickly absorbing completely different goals it than is. what you eat outside of training. It is a hundred percent. Actually it needs to be as not satiating <laughs> and like as calorie dense as possible. Absolutely. You need it to just go right where it needs to go. So, um, and I drink Coke in races cause it's like salt, sugar, and caffeine. And, yeah. Does yeah. the, um, bubbles, does the carbonation not bother you? Nope. Typically does it actually help flat Coke. So at aid stations, they'll open the tops early and let all the bottles go oh, flat okay. yeah, just to kind of help with that. Yeah. So I've always wondered about that. Cause I see, um, I've watched a bunch of hundred mile documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> I got very interested in yeah. ultra running at one point, yeah. did not do any yeah. of them, but yeah. it is very You're cool. Just a lurker kind of. Yeah. So like I, so I watched like all of the, um, who's the guy that makes Billy Yang. Billy Yang, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I watched all of his documentaries yeah. cause they're super well done. Really yeah. cool. And he's a great storyteller. Mm-hmm, so like, that's what makes him so cool. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, they're drinking Coke. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't drink Coke on a run. Yeah. No, you get used to it, but yeah, yeah that, that's the secret is that typically you they gotta let, let him it go, go flat. flat. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. So you eat like a, uh, a yeah. quesadilla and a Coke and you're, you're good to go. You you're an amazing. ultra marathoner. <laughs> that's all you have to do. That's yeah. pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, how did the hundred mile race go for you? It went great. Did you, yeah. did you say like a positive headspace the whole time? Yeah, I really did for me. Um, and I just talked about this this morning with one of my athletes, like, um, hundred mile distance is different for me because I really, I don't start racing until like mile 60. Um, I'm a really good closer. I think like I will let folks go do their thing. And then I love chasing people down late in the race. Cause I'm just, I'm, I've done this for a long time and I think that's a lot of fun for me. And typically people have, either gone out too fast or they've kind of blown it and I can kind of see that and know how to, you know, how to adjust and adapt to that. And that's kind of what happened. So I ran, I think I was in about fifth place for most of the day until about mile 55 or 60. And then I just started, you know, I could see people slowing down and dropping and then that's where I just get better. So the day went really well. I saw how 
far ahead the first place female was pretty early on. And I'm glad because I didn't try to catch her because that was just not going to be, if I had done that, my race would have been shot. So Mm. I typically try to just run my own race and, you know, just stay really in the, in the moment and just, I had a really good day. So I fell a lot, you know, this is a podcast. You can't see that, but I have like, this is healed a ton. I have, Oh, I could see it. Yeah. (laughs) My knees are just destroyed. My hand was bloody. I kept falling on the same spots over and over. And so I was having to be cleaned up. Do you think like the fatigue plays a lot into that? Like Um, things you wouldn't normally fall on? Just clumsy. So (laughs) I think that is, Typically, my trademark is I'm extremely clumsy. And, you Do you know, fall on training runs, though? Oh, yeah. Like, oh, okay. we all fall. Like, everybody <laughs> yeah. falls. You I've know? had some pretty sweet falls on trail runs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great, right? And, like, the last fall I had in that race, I turned around, and this, like, because of the way it was, I was getting blinded by some headlamps um, coming at me. Oh. I was going back down the Like mountain. an out and back part. Yeah, and they were coming up. And it kind of got me disoriented and I fell. And I mean, it was the worst one yet. And I flew and like landed straight on my face and just, oh, just thud. And the woman who passed me, she was like, are you okay? And I was like, uh, you know, and I'm checking everything. Yeah, I'm good. And then I realized I had split open, re-split open my hand that had already been bleeding. So, you know, but you just get up and keep going because you don't have a choice, right? So yeah. just, we keep moving. So I know I laugh. Like, I feel like sometimes I fall more running than like biking. I'm like, now biking's <laughs> harder than running. Right. Like, right No. Yeah. But then you're just like falling like dumb little things that you were like, how I did know. that trip me? I know that's, and that is typically when I fall and this trail was not very technical at all, but I always fall when it's not because I'm, yeah. yes, I'm not paying attention. So yeah. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess you talked a lot about how ultra running is like this mental game mm-hmm. and you have to run your own race. I hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. How does that play out on race day? And why do so many people fall victim to not running their own race? Well, it's really easy to get excited. Um, the gun goes off and then you're just caught up in the moment. Mm-hmm. And this is the hardest lesson for most runners to learn on race day because for every second you go out too fast, it essentially doubles in the second half of that race, like as far as how slow you're going to go. So okay. just double the slowness. Like, you know, if you go out five seconds too fast, you're going to be 10 seconds slower. Yeah, later you're costing yourself twice as much time. It's really crazy. Um, and people just don't, you can't quite get it till you race a few times and see how that didn't go right. You know, yeah. like you kind of blew that and we all go through it, but Um, yeah, you really have to be in your race the entire time. And it's just hard. Um, I, that race I did a few weeks ago, I was with a kind of running in a group of people and I heard a young woman who was around me say, I just PR'd my half marathon time, you know, and it's a hundred mile race. And I instantly, I was like, this day's not going to go the way you think it's going to go, you know, but that's just, she was very excited. And I think that, you know. Um, that's just what happens. People get really excited and caught up in the moment, but you really have to pay attention to it. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that in CrossFit competitions and that's like an eight minute workout, right? (laughs) But you see how fast someone else is going and you're like, well, if I want to compete with them, I have to go that fast. Yeah. Yeah. But you can bury yourself like so quickly. You can. I mean, that's a huge part. And then just staying in the moment. Like I think, for people, especially in the hundred mile distance, it's really, it's really easy to get down, you know, as you start approaching like halfway, because you're thinking I've still got 50 miles to go. Or if you're even like 30 miles in, um, 
So what I try to teach people is to really stay present, go aid station to aid station. You cannot allow yourself to think about the gravity of the whole distance. 100 miles is too hard emotionally, especially when you're in it. Like you, Yeah, you're feeling the past 20, 30 miles, and you know what three times that would feel like. You just can't do it. So you have to just stay right in the moment, you know, and just try to get to the next aid station or break it up into little chunks, like when you're going to get to your drop bag or your pacers or whatever. I mean, you just really have to stay right in that moment or it's just too much. It's just overwhelming. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so you, how many have you done? Um, six. Six hundred so, milers. Yes, uh-huh. and I'm sure you have a multitude of other races. Yeah, to yeah. like go along with that. So yeah, like lots yeah. of racing experience, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And six hundred milers, that seems like a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, I definitely. Um, it's becoming a lot. Like I, <laughs> it's a lot of a time commitment, and I I love the distance personally. I'm I do them right now. I'm tr- there's this one race called Western States yeah. and it's the one that everyone wants to do and you have to qualify and then mm-hmm. get in a lottery and the lottery is really difficult. And I'll just be a hundred percent transparent right now. My goal has for the last several years is to get into that race. And I think when I get in, um, I will probably take some time off okay. from the hundred mile distance. Um, and it's, Explain a little bit how to get into Western States. It becomes more and more likely each year that you qualify, right? So you get tickets, um, and then every year you don't get in, that number of ticket doubles. And so your As entries, long as you qualify the next year? Correct. You have and to that's keep what's doing hard. It. Yeah. And that's kind of my... You got to knock out another qualifying race every, every year. Every year you have to get another 100, and that's the thing for me that is personally just I'm ready to get this over with. I love the distance, um, yeah. but I'd like to skip a year. <laughs> You know what I right. mean? Like it's just, I think that little bit, that little element of it not being in your control because yeah. some people can get in the first year they I qualify. Know. I mean, it happens, right? It's crazy. I but know. then that like, who knows how many hundred mile races I'll have to do. I know I had a, an athlete a few years ago and she got into, she got into Leadville and, um, Western States in the same year. I think she got into hard rock too, like all these things. And she that got, you have to qualify for Yeah. And she just got pulled in all the lotteries and you know, it was the funniest story. Like your credit card never gets charged until you get into the lotteries. And she got notified that all three races, like, you know, charged her card like, at the same time. Oh, crap. And, and so then, yeah, so they just assume you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you get in the lottery, yeah, you put your card information in and if you get pulled in the lottery, then your card gets charged instantly. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, but you know, she deferred a couple and ended up having to pick the one she wanted to do. And so, you know, yeah, it's, I can't do like 400 miles in a year. I right? know. Yeah. But you know, some people get lucky like that and the rest of us just wait and wait and wait. Yeah. wait. So have you I been mean, entering into the other lotteries like Leadville and hard rock? Or? No, I really, I, I entered in the hard rock once. Um, that's but, the super tough one, right? Yeah, it is. It's got like a 48 hour cap. Yeah, it is. And there's only a few qualifiers for it. And I, um, I did a race called grindstone in Virginia. It's brutal. That's what, okay. So when I was thinking about it, that's the one that I thought I would do if I signed up for one, because it was really close to me where I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a, it's so hard and, um, it's a night start. And so essentially grindstone, yep. You start at 6 PM and you, you know, you basically, most people run through two nights because you're running through that first night and then you make it through to the next night. And the goal for lots of people is just don't hit another sundown, you know, but you, a lot of folks can't do it because it's just so hard. And um, I finished right as the sun was 
going down. And it, I mean, it's just a hard race, but it's a hard rock qualifier and they just make them really hard because hard rock's really hard. <laughs> yeah. It's, well, hard rock identifies very hard races yes, to choose as their qualifiers, absolutely. right? That's the point. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, all this stuff is a very, like, it's kind of this subculture thing. And I'm sure lots of your listeners are like, I don't even know what they're talking about. <laughs> it's very interesting though. If yeah. you think it's kind of interesting and you want to like dig into it, you should watch Billy Yang's YouTube. Yeah. That's probably the most entertaining way to learn mm-hmm. about it. I yeah. feel like. Yeah, it's and then pretty like fascinating. See if it's something you actually want to like get into. A lot of people get into the sport through documentaries uh-huh. and books, like yeah. Dean Carnassus. I've read all those too. Yeah, those <laughs> are the people that like kind of created the ultra running boom. You know, yeah. they're they're responsible for that. So. When I think a certain type of person is drawn to it, mm-hmm. like you kind of said, Type A people who are really driven, mm-hmm. and so like I just have enjoyed all the books and stuff, yeah. and like the mindset that people talk about. Yeah. I can like really identify with it, and it applies to so many other areas of life. Yeah, it does. It and like I'm sure sense. actually going through training and stuff also yeah. carries over a lot to the rest of your life, right? Yeah, it really does. I mean, that's kind of the thing. It's funny. I've I can apply my life to some of these races because I've been through some hard stuff. And Absolutely. so there are times in races where I hit kind of a low spot. And I'm like, you've been through way worse than this. This yeah. is just a run, <laughs> you know, but also I can flip that and say in days like in training runs or just in like hard life situations, I'm like, you know, two weeks ago you were running a hundred miles, you know, down a mountain. Like you can do this, you know, you did that. You can do this. So oh, yeah, right, it, yeah. It definitely helps you become more confident and you know, you just kind of know how good you are at solving solving some problems out there. Oh yeah. And I think that like pursuing something in fitness can have such a big carry over your life. Mm -hmm. We've talked to a lot of the guests have talked about that. And so far it's mostly been around strength training. Mm -hmm. We've talked about how lifting something, somebody thought they probably could never do can -hmm. build so much confidence, but also completing a like feat of endurance Mm -hmm. can do the same thing for somebody. Yep. Absolutely. And, and even if, you know, for people who don't finish races, like that's a hard thing. Lots of people, Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, have some days that don't go their way. It kind of ignites this drive to like go back out and fix that thing that didn't work. Like, okay, mm. I know it didn't work. You know, I'm going to fix it next time. And that's huge too. Like that gives you and it empowers you to control it, right? Like I'm going to take back control. That didn't go the way I want, but now I'm going to try to fix it and control it next time. So, yeah. you know, and that's a big deal for people. I create so. this plan. I'm going to execute it mm-hmm. and it's, I'm going to take over. Yep. That's super cool. So you talked about this, this race went really well for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's your 6-1. Is there a time where your race really didn't go that well? Uh, yeah. I mean, I've had lots of bad races. <laughs> um, I Can mean, you tell me about something that you like really had to work through in a race where it got really yeah. tough? I've ran a race um, and it's still one of, it's actually, well, my most recent race before this one um was in Vermont. I did the Vermont 100. Um, and it was in, you know, you don't think of Vermont as being necessarily hot and it was 107 degrees and it ended up being like a record heat day. And I was really trained and excited for this race. And, you know, that's just something you can't control. Right. So, um, I lined up and the, it was the first time I'd ever thrown up in a race because when your heart rate gets so high, you know, you try to eat and there's just things that happen and, you know, and so that day was just an entire day of struggling. Like it was just a day of managing, just, you know, trying to stay cool. Cause your, your body's systems are 
like it can only do so much. And so it's going to focus on saving your life and it's not going to worry about digesting, you know, that food that you just ate. And so for the rest of the run, like you're just kind of managing, like, am I going to puke? You know, am I going to pass out? Like, no, okay, slow down. You got to stop. Like if you're going to get to the end, like this day is going to look very different than any other race you've ever done. And that's okay. But I mean, it was the, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done and I finished it and it was still one of my favorite races because you walked away from it knowing that I pulled that off somehow, (laughs) you know? So yeah, it was really hard, but, um, really, a really cool experience. That's cool. Have you uh, read the book in endure? I Mm -hmm. think that's what it is. Okay. Cause he talks about how your body is always trying to not kill you, yeah. let you die. <laughs> yes. And that is essentially what is holding you back yes. from performance. Performance. You're battling your body's your brain. Yeah. concern that you will die over this. Exactly. Yeah. No, a hundred percent. Always trying to slow you down. Yeah. 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 And so which part of that is smart? Like if you push your body more than it's ready for at this point in time, you're going to do some damage, right? Yeah, That's your central governor. But, it's like going to keep you from yeah. going just too far. But yeah. On a race day, you're yeah. okay with pushing it a little more than your body sometimes <laughs> yeah. wants you to. And, and you, that's you're when like you in throw that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're in that battle all day. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it was definitely an experience that I, like I said, I, and I've done some hot races. I've raced in South Carolina before um, in August, which has been brutal. But this was just one of those things that, you know, it was a full day of just relentless, like, just heat. And I just, I'd never experienced anything like it. But, you know, we made it. Yeah, so, yeah. That's a big thing at Western States, right? It's usually really hot. Yeah. And there's a section that's really hot. That course is just fascinating to me they start in snow and then you hit canyons and it's 105 degrees because you lose like a lot of elevation mm-hmm. yeah, over the yeah. course of the race Correct. right yeah and so it's you know but that kind of stuff excites me because i love that like at the end of the day if the conditions are awful like i love it because i just yeah. think i'm i'm tough and i can actually yeah. like do you like training in really hard conditions too yeah, i do you know for this race i spent the whole summer just miserable because it's you know, you're just out there in a 35 mile run, just in heat. Yeah. And you're just dying and you just have to figure it out. You know, you just stuff ice places and it's just, you just make it work. Yeah. Yeah, Like a fall race would be the worst. It is. It's hard. (laughs) I didn't really cross my mind yet, but so many people, a lot of your athletes, right. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people in Knoxville did hundred milers Mm -hmm. this weekend, right? It was a big weekend for that. Where was that one? No business. No business was the one. And it's in big South fork. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a beautiful race. And it's, it's, it's a challenging race. It's, it's not got a ton of big climb, like big mountains in it. Um, but a lot of it's on the horse trails through the, through big South Fork, but it's pretty, um, unrelenting. Like it's just lots of rollers. I I call it where it's just up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And that's exhausting for people. So there's no big flat sections where you're like, cruise for five, 10 miles. No, not really. No. And I mean, there's some big climbs and so you're not really getting any break. Um, and so it, it can be challenging this year. It was really dry, which was good for one part of that because when the trails are muddy, it's a mess and it's Uh really tiring. So they were able to run more, but I think the fact that it was dry also meant it was hot and it really just, it, we kind of had a sneaky hot weekend and people weren't really expecting Uh, that humidity. And if it had been like a weekend or two earlier, that was my race was perfect. So I really lucked out because it started in the forties and you know, Mm -hmm. the high was in the sixties and it was perfect. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, have you ever had hallucinations in a race? I feel like people, I wanted to ask you that because people talk about it all the time and like, 
recaps that I've watched after their hundred miler or mm-hmm. whatever. Nope. I have never hallucinated. Um, thank goodness. Yeah. I, I that seems that, crazy. <laughs> you know, there was a time when I wanted to do two, 200 milers are becoming a big thing now. Yeah. You know, a lot of people are doing that and I'm Shoot. not, I don't quite have that desire, but yeah. there was a little bit of a time, but that was one of the things that kept me from really doing it because, you know, like I said, I've had brain cancer and, yeah, no kidding. um, I don't know that that's the best thing for my brain. And I think maybe I should not do that. Not saying other people can't, and I would definitely help people achieve that goal, but I don't think that's necessarily the safest thing for me because hallucinations are probably, that's probably a sign that something's not I don't know going well for me. About what causes those. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. know a ton a lot I about brain chemistry and stuff like sleep that. Sleep deprivation is usually mm-hmm. the thing that will cause it um, for most people. Um, but Which I think 100 miles could do that for you. Yeah. I guess I, you did yours in 17 hours. When people are taking yeah. longer, yeah. the longer you take probably makes it worse. Yeah. I mean, I've had a good 27 hour, 100 miler, and those are hard, you know, I, yeah. but I still didn't hallucinate. And so I think, you know, I've lucked out on that because I know, I do know people definitely have had their fair share of it. So yeah, yeah. I'm sure you've had athletes that have talked to you about that kind of stuff. Yep. Yep. I actually had a girl, um, she raced no business and, you know, she had a really kind of unfortunate situation where her bottle broke and she ran out of water and, you know, she was 80 miles into it and was like dizzy and kind of hallucinating. And so, I mean, it happens from other reasons besides sleep deprivation. Just sleep deprivation. Yeah, yeah. Cause your body's just, it's just done, you know, like you've put it through so much that even the littlest thing can, can really set you off. So <clears throat> yeah. Really cool though, to put yourself in a situation to work through that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really admire it and think that it's really cool. Yeah. It's different. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Some people just say we really make poor choice, poor life choices. And that, but I mean, you know, I think that's kind I of, I don't know. I think sitting on your couch is a worse life choice. That's probably true. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. You know, that's probably true. Yeah. 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 That is really interesting. So, <laughs> oh my gosh, why are people doing 200 milers? That is just, I wish people would stop at some point. Humans. I know you just keep doing we it. Just like keep more going. stuff. Yeah. Eventually the 500 like, miles. Why is there be... no top? <laughs> I know. I mean, now 200 milers seem like they're the new 100 miler, you know, 100 milers seem like, oh, everybody's doing 100 milers. So we should just do a 200 miler. And like I said, I just don't think that's for me. You know, never say never. After my first 100, I said I would never do another one. And that obviously that didn't happen. So, um, so who knows? But, you know, currently it feels like something I'm not ready to to go to. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I wonder how much your volume would really have to go up. Cause you said you didn't run necessarily more than a marathon training mm-hmm. volume for a hundred dollar. No. Your long runs just longer. Like that's yeah. kind of the difference, but volume wise, I think for two hundreds, I, you just essentially, you know, everything has to be easy. I think in that, in that kind of a training cycle yeah. and then you're just long runs have to be, have you, you trained know. anybody for a 200 miler? Mm-hmm. No, I have not. Okay. So yeah, but I'm sure I'm surely if at someone some point, hears this, they're probably going to hey, ask me about it. <laughs> I have a new goal for 2022. I know. Yeah, it's fine. We'll it's everything's fine. It's fine. We'll figure it out. So. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Where are the uh, 200 milers? There can't be that many of them. They're not. Most of them are out West. Um, yeah. there's one, the Tahoe 200. That's the one I watched Courtney DeWalter do. Right. And she won it outright a couple yep. of years, set a course record mm-hmm. on it. Yep. They're, they're mostly out West. I think there's one in South Carolina. Um, and it just sounds miserable. It's through kind of swampy, marshy, stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, 
you know, so you really got to commit to it to, to go do it. I think the cutoffs for those are like 96 hours, you know, Golly. so people are surely they're definitely sleeping, which is a kind of okay. a different thing that just really doesn't happen in hundred milers, but for two hundreds, I think you got to sleep to function. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not if you're Courtney. Well, she micro micro naps is what she oh, says. Yeah. Like two minute naps Let's talk and stuff. About that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like, you know, AT records and stuff like yeah. that. And that's like, yeah, during, during COVID, a lot of folks, cause races weren't happening. A lot of people were trying to do what's called FKTs. They were trying uh -huh. to set fastest known times on all sorts of trails all over, which was super fun. And I think that was fun for our sport. Um, because you know, people were going out on trails. They'd never You'd have been your own on. creativity, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that was really neat and cool. Um, and so I hope that doesn't stop because I think that gets people out on trails that they'd never been on. It gets attention to, you know, trails. And yeah. so I think that was it's really cool. like the, it's almost like the climbing scene yeah. where people have to like, you have to go to the route to be able to set a Absolutely. record on it or say that you've done it, like mm -hmm. put it in your, yep. I've done this, you know, whatever. Absolutely. Kind of like yeah. creates destinations around trails, yeah. which yeah. is cool. Yeah. And it was interesting to see, like one of the things I was talking about earlier, like seeing women set overall fastest known oh, times, yeah. you know, and that's kind of cool because now, you know, guys got to come and try to break it, right? you know, which is fun. You know, you probably get similar, like the longer things are, mm -hmm. it seems like women are more likely to do the longer things. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. What is your theory about that and why women are able to set records on longer things, <laughs> win longer races? Um, I think it's a couple of things. I think pain management is, I think women guys are a bunch of wusses. I'm not saying that. <laughs> I just think women really have a, a good ability at managing pain. Okay. But I also think we can put our egos aside a little bit and kind of what I was explaining earlier, we're going to be really smart early in a race and kind of watch what's happening and handle all those problems and do all those things. And I think a lot of times, and I know this cause I've raced with guys, like I've won at races outright and I've run with guys in the front and know what's happening. You know, there's a little bit of an ego that is hard to slow down and hard to be smart. And it's, you know, and it's, you know, I just think it's, uh, it's, it's harder sometimes for some guys to do that in races. Um, whereas women, a lot of times we'll just sit back and watch the race unfold. And then, you know, later in the race, we do what we do. So <laughs> we handle, we take care of business, I guess. So, yeah, that's <clears throat> awesome. Yeah. That was really cool to see a sport where it like really doesn't matter. I know. Cause like in strength sports, like testosterone has a big impact on strength. hundred percent. It yeah. just does. Like yep. there's nothing you can say about it. Mm -hmm. And so, but that kind of shows there's nothing else about being male that makes you better at sports. It's really just testosterone driving strength gains mm -hmm. and that drives athleticism in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. But this is like, we're talking about competitiveness and your mindset throughout something, being smart about the race mm -hmm. and yeah. like, and, and humility. Then, I really think that, like I said, like being able to, to step back and wait and be patient. Um, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. So. Which is just being smart through the race, right? <clears throat> yep. Like sticking to your strategy, yep. Yep. like all that stuff can come to the forefront mm -hmm. when that kind of like physiological factor is not in the race. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So guys need <clears throat> to suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And win some ultras. That's cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we always do some like wrap it up questions. <clears throat> okay. So 
what is your favorite way to stay active in Knoxville other than running? Or maybe you don't like to be that active other than running because you do it a lot. Um, I really try to be, um, well, like I said, I love to lift weights, so I definitely will. Okay. Yeah, for sure. I love strength training, but also I have four dogs. And so I just love to hang out with my dogs and I definitely have to work on the not being active. So my recovery really does need to be, so yeah, just hanging out with my dogs. Like I just like to try to be as calm and non-active as possible, but you know, I do lift weights too a lot. I was so going to say, when that. you have that much scheduled activity, <clears throat> yeah. you're probably focusing more on how yep. do I not. Eating <laughs> and sleeping is something I love to do. <laughs> so, yeah. Those are the most mm-hmm. important things, especially mm-hmm. when you got that much that you have to train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite <laughs> restaurant in Knoxville? Um, wow. Uh, let's see. Chesapeake's is probably my favorite restaurant. It's oh. just an old uh, seafood restaurant. Downtown. Everybody loves Chesapeake. I love it, man. I, if I can just get a good crab cake from Chesapeake's, I'm golden. I love it. Um, so yeah, that's probably my favorite. Okay. I really need to go there. <laughs> I've had it catered and I've heard that it's just nothing like actually going there and ordering from their kitchen. So yeah, it's really good food and it's very, you know, it's nothing flashy, but I love it. So yeah. Okay. Awesome. And then last <laughs> one, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Probably flying because that's one of the things I love about running is I kind of feel like you're flying, especially on like downhills. And so if I could actually fly rather than just sort of feel like I'm flying, um, I think that would be awesome. So just kind of having the freedom to go wherever you want would be pretty cool. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's been amazing hearing your story and I feel like we've learned so much unique stuff through this podcast. Thanks. I feel like I kind of rambled a little bit, so I appreciate you taking the time to to hear me out. So So how can people get in touch with you if they need a run coach Um, or they're interested in doing this kind of stuff? You can just go to my website. It's unrunning.com. Um, and is it just unrunning mm-hmm. on Instagram? It's like un underscore running. Is that right? Yeah. On okay. Instagram. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my website's just unrunning.com and, um, yeah. And like I said, if I can't help you with something or I don't feel like I'm the right fit, I will definitely help you find somebody who is, or, you know, but I would love to try to try to help. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. At some point in my life, I want to do hundred mile race. Oh, wow. Before. That's exciting. But did you just hear when. yourself say it? Yeah. I was like, maybe I should say it on the podcast. That'll make it real. Now I like, I've said that several times. Like that's a life goal. I just don't know when in my life I want to do it. Well, you have plenty of time. I yeah. think you're young, so you've got time. Yeah. You've got plenty of time. Yeah, so we'll, f- we'll figure out what, but you know, I think it's really cool too. Uh, I have like too many life goals, you know, but there's just these things that seem really cool. You're like, that would be an accomplishment, like something that you really have to work for and put a lot into. Yeah. I mean, you, You but you've, like I said, you've got plenty of time to do it. Um, I've coached, um, people in their sixties who've done their first hundreds, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, my dad got super into road biking. Uh, he's a, he's 58 now. Uh, he's been into it for like four or five years, but yeah, he just like, after turning 50 anyways, he's in his fifties when he got into it. Now he's done like hundred mile bike rides. He did this summer, he did a 267 mile bike ride. And so like just in the last few years is like, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like never say never. I mean, you said you're going to do it. So I, I think that you can do it. Just 
For sure. Hopefully somebody else has heard, maybe they don't want to do a hundred miler, but they've heard something on this podcast and it made them want to sign up for half marathon, marathon, whatever. Absolutely. Yep. So you just got to take the step, you know, and, and consistency and anybody (laughs) literally and figuratively just take a step. (laughs) Absolutely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing and being with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. This has been another episode of the active Knoxville podcast. We'll see you guys next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Active Knoxville podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, take a moment to leave us a five-star review. If you really want to help us reach more people with this information, take a screenshot and share it to your Instagram stories. Tag us at Active Knoxville and we will repost it. See you guys next time.